publishing a book is a victory, but it's not the end. After you sweep up the confetti and wash the champagne flutes, what's next? Authoring Onward is the podcast about those steps after your first publication. Going from published author to having a long-term writing career. And that has no clear endpoint and plenty of ups and downs. But telling stories for the long-term is so, so worth it. Sit back, listen, and together, let's author Onward. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Authoring Onward. I'm Connie B. Dowell, and we have finally passed the end of spooky season. It's truly November. Halloween is glorious, but it is over. But I still have a good stack of spooky books, so I'm going to keep the spooky going right on into winter and enjoy a bit of what November brings. The last part of fall and Thanksgiving in a couple weeks leading up to the holiday season. Now, today I have an interview. Joy and I talked to PJ McElvain about her long writing career and she's done screenwriting and she's also the one of the founders and organizers for PB Pitch, which is a Twitter pitch fest. Um, it's not really a contest, but like a pitch event for picture book writers. So it the timing of this episode didn't quite work out to happen right before the PB Pitch event, which happened last week. But now is a great time to, if you're curious about how it works, to go back to search the PB Pitch hashtag and look at the pitches and what's kind of standing out to you and what seems to make a good pitch and get prepared because they do this a couple times a year, um, at least twice a year, I think. So several times a year they do this and it's great to get prepared for next time. So that was one of the things we talked about in our interview. Um, we also talked about balancing work and family for writers. And you know, that's a topic that I like to talk about a lot because I'm always trying to figure it out for myself and make it better. And as someone who is in the busy, busy years of parenting, it's always great to hear from a writer who has experienced other parenting stages and other life stages that I, so that I can look ahead and I can learn from her experience. So it was great to hear from PJ in that regard. And without further ado, let's hop into the interview. All right, today on the podcast, I am talking to PJ McElveen, and um, I've also got Joy here, who may be interjecting a couple times in the conversation. So um, welcome to the show, PJ. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. And you have had a pretty varied career. There's a lot of great stuff that um, we can talk about. Could you introduce yourself a little bit to listeners about you and your books and your other writing as well? Well, basically, I started out very young writing a neighborhood newsletter, and that progressed to poems, song, lyrics, you know, the, the whole nine yards. And then when I was in my 20s, I decided I was going to be the next great American novelist. Uh, well, that after a couple of books that went nowhere, I got the screenwriting book. And I devoted myself to screenwriting for a good number of years. And I was very lucky with my fifth script. 
I, it ended up being produced as a Showtime original family movie with Eric Stoltz, Mimi Rogers, and Karen Allen. Uh, it's called My Horrible Year. It's, you can still find it on Amazon, I think, and on YouTube. It's still available. And I thought that was going to open all sorts of doors for me in Hollywood. Being in New York, it was very difficult at the time. You know, we didn't have the internet capabilities that we have now. Not being in LA was a big hindrance for me. Uh, so eventually I kept going on with um, screenwriting, you know, managers and agents, and I bounced back and forth. And then my mom became ill. I was her caregiver for quite a number of years. Uh, she, you know, she had Alzheimer's, dementia, and it, it got pretty bad at the end, but she was home with me until the very end, basically. And in the back of my mind was always, I did want to go back to novels. And then when she passed, my brother passed and my father passed in the space of a few years. But when my mom died, I was like a revelation. I was like, you know, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is your time to do this. Because in addition to all my writing, I was taking care of the kids and working and the husband moving and, you know, all sorts of things. But I kind of felt, you know what? This is me time. I'm going to devote myself to my novel writing. And I started out small because I didn't want to take on something too big, you know, right after my mom's death. So I started with picture books. And then once I got, I felt comfortable in picture books, then I went to middle grade and young adult and now adult. So I've been very lucky to have a couple of picture books published. I have a couple more under contract. Uh, then I had my middle grade Violet York come out in April of last year, uh, earlier this year. And it's been doing very well on Amazon. It's been a best bestseller a couple of times. And then more exciting, in May of next year, I'm going to have my first adult book published. And then in September, I'm going to have a young adult published. So it's been a very, very busy year for me. Yeah, a very busy year. Um, you know, another one of those, um, thinking back to other conversations I've had recently, one of those busy, productive times that have actually been preceded with lots and lots of behind the scenes stuff. Lots and lots of turmoil behind the scenes and agita and stress. But I'm the type of writer, I'm a Capricorn, always have to have a couple of balls juggling in air. So you don't get obsessed with two, with one thing if that does, if that falls through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that kind of brings us to um, your story here, a bit of the meat of our, our conversation today, which is a, a lot about balancing our writing work and our family. And for, um, I'd say most writers also other kinds of work as well. Very few yeah, of us yeah. just write and promote our books. Yep, yep. It's hard. It's not easy at all. And uh, I had, you know, when I was younger, when I was in my 20s, I first got married, I had two kids under under two. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was, it was hard to write. I basically, I would plant the kids around me in their stroller in, in the playpen and I would basically write as they were screaming. Uh, I would stop, take care of them, go back. It was, oh, it was stop and go. You know, when they're little, it's stop and go, but the kids always came first. Then when my mom came to live with me, it got a little bit easier. And at that point, I was working full-time as a customer service rep for our newspaper here on Long Island. And I was there for almost 20 years. So uh, basically the way I would do that is I would get up very early in the morning. I didn't have to get to work until like nine or 9.30, 10. I would get up at six. I would do some writing before I had to get the kids up for school. I'd get them to school. I'd write a little more. I'd get ready to go to work. And I was very lucky the job I had, there was a lot of, I'm not going to say downtime, but on my lunch hour, my breaks, I would write on the computer. 
I, whatever I would write, I would email back to me. And then when the kids got older, again, your schedule changes, you know, your schedule changes on what they need. When they're in high school, they don't need you that much anymore. So you're able to get in a little bit more writing. But, you know, it's hard. I, sometimes it meant with my family, and I knew they would be disappointed with me. There might be something that I wasn't able to go to, maybe a concert or, or maybe a, an event at school. But, you know, either my husband would go or I would go. And we consciously made the decision when we got married that I tried working in the city in Manhattan and I hated it. So I decided, you know what, my husband would work in the city and I took a job on Long Island, which was very close to our house. So if there was an emergency, I could get there within 15, 20 minutes. So, you know, that was a choice we made. Later on with screenwriting, I did have the opportunity at one point around 2000, 2002, 2003, I could have moved to California. I, you know, that was another big decision I had to make. You know, at that point, I was like, you know what, I have this movie. Maybe this is a chance I should do. But my kids were against it. My kids were in college, high school, and to uproot them. And so at that point, I said no. So that was something I, again, another choice I made for my family. But at the end of the day, I think it's all worked out. You know, they're happily married now. I'm a grandma. So I, I kind of take it, 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 is, it, it, it turned out the way it was supposed to be. I may have missed some opportunities, but my kids are healthy, healthy, happy, and I'm a great grandma. So I think in the end, it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely more than a balancing act, but kind of a pendulum that swings and you always feel like you're not doing enough or you're doing too much or you always feel like you're failing you know yeah i haven't done enough or i've done you know, not enough here and not enough it's hard and then you also have your own doubts as a writer you know uh you know your imposter syndrome is very real even at this stage where i've had a couple of books published and a movie made it i still feel that i'm a fake i still feel like a failure so you still have that too so you have all that going on and you're still trying to push yourself as a writer and right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And man, I feel you on the having, t I had two under two as well. It, it is a lot. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, it is a lot. But fortunately, that time is a time that eventually that passes, passes. quickly. Because I don't it think you keep that momentum going indefinitely. Yeah. And um, there were some projects I had to put aside for the kids. And I'm like, well, you know what? I can always pick it up later. Mm -hmm. You know, so that that's the way you have to feel. Yeah. So um, with all that going on and the kind of natural imposter syndrome and insecurities that I think most of us feel working in an industry that's very subjective, that's really, really tough to work in. And full um, of rejection. Yeah. Constant rejection. How do you, how uh, kind of, I, I know you had a question about this, uh, Joy, uh, kind of like how you take care of yourself. Yeah, you know, PJ, um, what an amazing, um, story. And it's a real powerful representation of how women can actually achieve in the writing world. You are to be commended oh, um, um, on many, many levels. Uh, that's, I, I'm just, you know, very, very, very impressed. But that my, you know, in the vein of what we're talking about today, my platform is, you know, the health and wellness of writers. And I just want to know, are there any specific um, things that you have done over the years that helped maintain you during all this ebb and flow of natural life 
as far as health and wellness techniques or tips? Well, unfo unfortunately for me, for many years, I suffered from panic attacks and anxiety attacks. There were, there were some months, some weeks, I, I couldn't even leave the house. Or if I left the house, I would leave the house with a glass of water and pills. Uh, that was a very difficult time for me. And, you know, I would even go to work. I would have my pill bottle next to me and I knew where every bathroom was in case I had to stop. And, you know, so it, it's very difficult. So I think now I've, I've kind of achieved the balance where I'm at the point in my life is I still get anxious. I still get nervous, but I don't let it overwhelm me. So when I feel it overwhelming me, I'll do some meditation exercises. I'll do my arm. I'll take a walk. I'll take a break, read a book. Uh, and, and just say to myself, you know, Pat, at your age, whenever you thought the worst was going to happen, it never happened. So I have that to bank on, you know, that experience has taught me that, you know, your imagination can run away with you to the point where it's almost crippling. But the worst, 99% of the time, it's just in your imagination. So, but again, that's with experience in time. When you're in your 20s and 30s, you kind of feel that it's almost the end of the world. When, uh, and you're overwhelmed with all these things. And unfortunately for me, when, when I had the pills, uh, and now I'm at the point where I don't take anything. I mean, even just to take an aspirin for a, a migraine, my kids are like, mom, please, you're ready to pass out. We can see in your face, you know, how much pain you're in or for sinus. Uh, and now I'm at the point where I don't take anything. So again, it's experience and maturity. And, but that's something you, you have to learn. And my little tips are when I, when I get upset or anxious, I'm kind of like, oh, step away. I, I know what triggers me now. So I, and I try not to get too upset about what's going on in the world too, because that also can be very upsetting and triggering. So it's just a question of balance and finding out what works for you. And everybody's different. What works for me may not work for somebody else. Yeah. Well, um, looking back with that gift of hindsight that those of us um, who are in our 30s in the thick of parenting and don't really have much time to stop and think, um, yeah. wouldn't realize. Are there things, advice you would give to your younger self? What I would have so said to my younger self is probably, I. well, there were two things. Uh, I would have tried harder to find a balance when I had my anxiety and, and my and my panic attacks. Uh, again, it was a very emotionally draining and physically draining too. It's not just the emotional, it's physically draining. Uh, I would have told myself, you know, it's gonna pass. You know, right now it feels like you're at the, you're at the end of your rope, but it does pass. And even though it feels like you're really in a bad spot, it will get better. You know, that's something probably I would have liked to have heard my younger self say. Career-wise, what I probably should have done is I probably should have started writing novels sooner than, than when I did. Because I always had that in my goal. That was always my end goal to go back to, to writing. But a couple of things happened and I, you know, you want to prove yourself more in screenwriting. So I probably hung on more in that. And I'm still doing screenplays. I haven't given up. But I probably would have shifted more toward novels earlier than what I did. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. And it's, it's hard to, to know in the moment what things are, but it's good to listen um, to those. No, because you think you're doing the right thing because you know, right, writing a screenplay for me, I could knock off five or six screenplays a year, send them out, query, whatever, a book takes longer. 
Mm -hmm. A book can take you a year to two years, even longer with revisions. And then the publishing process, you know, so it, it is what it is. And you have to be adapted and be flexible. I have another question, PJ. I haven't heard you mention memoir. I would read your memoir, especially <laughs> as a not as a fellow writer. What a great story. Is it brewing in the back of your mind by any chance? Well, let, well, let me tell you this. It's, it is definitely a memoir, but what I would like to incorporate not only my story, but my mother and my grandmother's story, which is also, also quite amazing. My grandmother, who was my biggest supporter, was orphaned at a very early age in France. Uh, she married oh, an American railroad worker, had her first child at 14. I mean, that's another story there. Uh, what she, in the 1920s, her and her, her sister, she finally reunited with her sister after many years. They would go back and forth from America to France, bringing stuff from America to, to France to their other relatives, stockings, candy. You know, they were the conduit. Uh, so, I mean, that's another story. And then my mom, too, she came to America not knowing a lick of English. And she worked her way up from salon. She became a hairdresser. And she would work at one salon, learn a little bit more English, learn a little bit more. She would get fired, go to another salon. And she, you know, it, it, so it, I think probably all three of the stories that my, my, my grandfather, too, he was he was uh, the son of a baron. He grew up in a castle. Uh, we lost a castle to the family difficulties. So, I mean, there's a whole soap opera there, too. So we could all incorporate that in one big fat memoir. Wow. Yeah. And on top of that, I am distantly related to Simone, Simone de Beauvoir, the French feminist. So there's there's a lot in my family that I would love to explore. So a memoir, what, definitely. Yeah, I don't know, know what you're waiting on, PJ. I'm getting chills just hearing that. that. I, need, I need eight arms to do everything, to write everything. Yeah, <laughs> enough arms to write everything, enough ideas. Um, That's it. You have, you have more ideas than, you know, it's the time. If I could clone myself, and I'm sure the same thing for you, for you ladies too, if you could clone yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but in a way there's, there's a benefit to that because we get to kind of pick and choose which ideas are most worthy of our time. Yep. Um, yep. That's true as well. You know, some stories you may get an idea for it. It's like a little spark, but if it doesn't stay with you, then you kind of know uh, it's not the one. It's the ones that linger in yep. your mind. The ones that nag at you to be written. Because basically, if, if anybody could write the story, it's not the story for you. I don't want to write that kind of story. I have to write a story that sings to me, that makes me feel passionate. Yeah, that is a, that is a quotable piece of advice there, that it's if anybody could write it, it's not the story for you. It has to be the one only you can tell. No, because, you're, you, know, you know, I think there's that story about if you give, put typewriters in front of 100 monkeys, 100 monkeys will, will type out a story, but... So you know what? I'm not going to be that monkey. <laughs> and that again ties back to this theme of like balancing our our working lives and our families because our families are a priority. And if yep. we're going to take time away, if we're going to make our schedule more difficult, it needs to have a really good purpose. It needs to be worth it. It does. It does. Because you think of the time that you're taking away to write that story could have been time you could have been doing something with the grandkids or with your husband you know so yes you do have to prioritize which idea is best suited for you yeah absolutely 
Um, uh, and you're in your earlier description, you talked a lot about like seizing those little moments of time. Um, do you have any um, kind of reflections back on what what worked really well in terms of like the uh, the actual logistics of it and what you might have changed? That's a hard one. It's like when when my mom was ill. You know, you know, I, I always wrote, I have, I, you know, and I'm lucky enough that I have a laptop and I have, a, you know, I have a PC, I have a, you know, a, so I could, I would switch. If my mom was ill, I would, you know, take the laptop with me or even when she would go to the hospital for a test or whatever, I would bring the laptop with me. Uh, so it, it's basically, it's a discipline and it's really what's important for you. Like for me, writing is like breathing. For me to stop writing, it is you know, it's like would be chopping off my arm. I, you know, it's part of me now. So I always found a way, no matter what the logistic was, I can even remember when my mom would go to the hospital for a test, I would bring my laptop with me. So it's really a, a sense of discipline and making the time to write every day. I, I can't stress that enough because I'm not the type of writer who just writes on inspiration because if I did, I think probably it would take me longer or harder. Uh, so basically I write every day even if it's just a sentence, a paragraph, even a couple of words, if the kids are home, the grandchildren need me, grandma, I want juice, or grandma, I want this, because I'm also their caregiver now. I, I watch them, you know, when they're home from school, when they're home on vacation, after school, whatever. So I think that's probably the, the most important thing I could say, because it's like a discipline. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Because the writer I am now, is not the writer I was in my 20s or my 30s or even my 40s or 50s. So it's an accumulation. So you have to keep at it. And even when you don't feel like writing, when you're sick, when you know you feel like some days you just want to stay in bed and just laze or watch TV or there's a book, you really have to be that dedicated and make the time for it. Because like everything else, it, it's an accumulation because you start out here with page one, but you keep going at it, eventually you will get to the end and you need that because without that first draft, you don't have anything. But as long as you get that first draft done, no matter what writer's block you may have, you just gotta, you just gotta grind yourself through it some days because some days it is a grind. Yeah, absolutely. I like what you said that, that you know, you write on a regular schedule, even if it's just a sentence, because I think what maybe stops a lot of people who have been overwhelmed either by parenting or other family responsibilities or just life from getting started or getting back on a regular writing schedule is the feeling yeah. that it needs to be really long chunks of time. Or and the feeling that it needs to be perfect from the get-go. It's not perfect from the get-go. Even Hemingway wasn't perfect from the get-go. None of them are perfect. Everybody has a crappy first draft. Someone mm -hmm. who says their first crap their first draft was sold. Uh, no, it, 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 you know, there has to be some editing, some revising, because right now my first draft may be the equivalent of somebody else's fourth or fifth draft because I edit as I go along. But please, I don't believe that anybody has a perfect first draft. Yeah. If they do, I'd like to see it because I'd like to know how they do it. <laughs> yeah it would be the only one in the entire yeah. universe and you can't you can but you can't let it intimidate you you know uh, 
you just have to bite the bullet sometimes and see where it goes. You know, you may not end up where you thought you were. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes taking that road less traveled and brings you to exactly where you needed to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, which actually uh, is a slight tangent, but I think this does relate um, that I think it would be helpful for writers who are juggling a lot, who are trying to establish this regular schedule to play around and get a sense of whether they gravitate more towards plotting or more towards writing by the seat of their pants or somewhere mm -hmm. in the middle, because knowing that style can make you much more efficient. Well, that's again, it's trial and error. What works for me may not work for another writer. Me, I'm more, I'm more of a pantser. I've tried outlining and I find, I find that too inhibiting if I write it down on paper. I usually have it all in my head hmm. and I just go from there. But even so, I, I leave room for you know creativity or whimsy or, or, or inspiration to take over. So I, I guess I'm kind of like in, this, in the middle, but I would probably say I'm more 75% pantser. Interesting. Yeah, I'm probably more of like 75% plotter. So <laughs> I would I slow way down when yeah. I don't have that outline. Yeah, I do find an outline for me. It's almost like you put it down and then you feel like I can't deviate from it from it. And I'm the type of writer who does because I like I may get inspiration when I'm washing the dishes or washing my hair or taking the dog out for a walk. So I, I pretty much go where it leads me. Mm -hmm. And you have to leave room for that, to, for interpretation and for new things to crop up. Because the characters may take you in another direction that, that you anticipated. That happens to me all the time. They'll tell me, no, PJ, you want to do this. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think most people are not strictly in one thing or another. Yep. Yep. We're all somewhere in the middle, but gravitating toward one Whole and I know, there. and I know there are many writers because I see it on Twitter and on TikTok or whatever, and they do elaborate outlines and they'll have notes and these little boards and whiteboards. And if it works for them, that's great. But but for me, it, it's not. It's you know, at that point, I'm like, well, you know what? Just write the damn thing. Mm -hmm. It's like I have, you know, when you're telling me you've done a 60 page outline, I'm like, well, you know what? You might as well just write it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all about finding what works for you. And maybe this exactly. is for those who are kind of struggling to reestablish to build that into their schedule when they are reestablishing or for the first time establishing this regular writing pra practice is build in that experimentation time. Say, I'm going to exactly outlining and that outlining is writing. Um, if you outline, you need to put that on your schedule. And the more you do it, the more confident you get. You know what, because that that's a big bridge to break is be the confidence factor, because when I when I first when I was started with the picture books, I'm like, yes, I could do this. This is the 500 words. I could do 500 words in my sleep. Not even, you know, walking the dog, I can do 500 words. So once I did that and then I realized, you know what, writing a book is really not that much different from writing a screenplay. Because a screenplay could be about 120 pages, mm -hmm. even longer. You just don't, it's just not as much prose. It's mostly dialogue and it's very curt and you have to be very direct in your slug lines and the action. So basically a, a book really is just an expanded screenplay. So once I realized that, then I was, then I realized I was going to be able to do, it. I, I could go from page one to page 300 easily. It might take me a little bit longer with the kids and family, but I, I knew with my confidence, I could do it. And now with a couple of books out of my belt, under my belt, yeah, I know I can. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're good, 
but I can do it. Well, I'm sure they're great. Um, but but yeah, getting some of those those quick wins, even for writers who are kind of struggling, like you can make your wins really small to set the and bar. Even, even magazine articles. Yeah. I know a lot of people will, will try that too. Whatever whatever works. Yeah. And whatever makes you happy. First and foremost, you have to do what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I know one of the one of the ways that um, when when you came up as a potential guest, I was like, I know that name, and I knew you from PB Pitch. Um, yep. So I wondered if you'd like to um, give a little shout out to PB Pitch for the listeners. Well, PB Pitch was really an inspiration, you know, a labor of love between a couple of us ladies who a couple of years ago, we were like, you know what, picture books are really the, the stepchild, the redheaded stepchild of, of uh, publishing. And there really wasn't anything dedicated to picture books alone. So we started, basically, we just put out tweets and hope people would come and people did and agents did come. And now we're like, you know, a couple of years into it and we've had success stories. We've had several books published. Uh, people are making good deals, making connections. So you could go to our webpage, www.pvpitch.com, and we have a success page, and you'll see. You know, it can be done. You can pitch successfully and make a worthwhile connection that will lead you to a path to publication. And not just one book, several books. It was a launching pad for many people, and we're very proud of it. And our next event is going to be on October 27th from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's going to be our Halloween edition. So picture book creators, your writers, illustrators, we welcome everybody. Yeah, unfortunately, this episode is going to release after October 27th, but I'm sure there will be another um, event. Yeah, I think yep, yep. You can just watch our page and you'll see. We have, we have events, it's usually three times a year. Yeah, so three times a year, so watch out for that again. But um, for those who maybe are unfamiliar and listening and going, pitching, tweets, what's going on? Um, could you explain the process a little bit? I, I tell people in pitching, you have to make it short, sweet, okay. snazzy, and sexy. Yeah, but what is a Twitter pitch contest? Because many listeners may not know. Well, a Twitter pitch contest is when you hone down the antithesis of your story into a pithy log line. Uh, like an elevator pitch. Let's say if you're, you're, you're when you see a great movie that you like and you're describing that movie to somebody, you're not going to go from, well, that started out when he was a little boy and then he went from here and then he ended up in jail. And, oh, but first before that, he killed some, you know, that's a long winded. I mean, that could take you an hour or so or whatever. This, you have to be very short and basically boil down what your story is. For example, Jaws, Man Against Shark. I mean, that's a very short idea, but you get the gist. You have to make it enough that people will be enticed to like your pitch enough to read it. Yeah, and this is a Twitter pitch contest for picture book writers. And right, but there were many there were many other contests too for, you know, for uh, other genres. There's for pitch this. Uh, so there, there, were several, there were several different pitch contests throughout the year. So, you know, whatever genre you have, there is a pitch contest for you. Okay, yeah. So agents and editors, um, just to explain, are, are looking at these pitches. Yep. And whatever appeals to them, they will like. And then they will probably usually give how to contact them with the pitch, how you can send it to them. Either through Query Manager, 
query tracker or through email or through direct message, but they usually say how you can contact them once, once you, they like your pitch. Yes, which is very important for those of us who are watching pitch contests and you really like this person's pitch, but you are not an agent editor, please do not like their, do not hit the like button. No, writers are not supposed to hit the like button and neither are you supposed to pitch, you know, during the contest, you know, basically if you, and the, and the agents and editors are usually quite clear, they're usually open to unsolicited queries, you know, so don't DM them, don't PM them, just, you know, look up their information if they have it and just query them the regular way, you know, and see if it works because it's impossible for the agents and editors to see every single pitch over eight or nine, 10 hours. It's impossible. They can't. They may just look for a little while. They may come back to it. Sometimes you find they'll come back after the event is over and they'll look over the pitches. But yeah, I, they can't physically. Mm -hmm. They would be brain dead afterwards, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. What again, the querying process again is whatever works as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always inspiring to see um, some of the great ideas that I see that come up in those pitch contests. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. Absolutely. Um, well, we've had a, um, a great chat here, um, PJ and Joy. Um, do you have any any final questions, Joy or? No, well, I do have one quick one about um, PB pitch. How much time does it take? Because it's become pretty popular. Um, how much of your time does it take uh, maintaining, managing, whatever, PB pitch? You know what? It's, I, it's not even. I mean, you know, we we basically we find out that by word of mouth, people know about us. So, you know, we'll, we'll tweet about it when the next event is coming up and then other people retweet it. So, and really now it used to be a little bit hard when we used to invite agents because we used to have lists of agents and email them and then some would say they would come and then they would not come. So we made a decision about maybe a year or two ago that we're just going to say, here it is. Uh, you know, we, we tweet about it. We know eight, we, we have a pretty regular core group of agents and editors that we know will come to the event because they've had successful events. They've made matches. They've made clients. So we have a pretty dedicated core group that we know will show up every time. Then everybody else who comes, they're welcome aboard the party, you know, the train. Yeah. So in terms of time, really not that much. It's more about the, now that we've become so popular, people know about us. They come to us and you can see from the feed, we, do, we don't lack for pitches. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been wonderful chatting with you, PJ. Do you have any parting thoughts or advice you'd like to tell listeners? Persistence, patience, passion. You need that in spades to succeed in this business. And don't don't kid yourself. It is a business. No matter how much we like to say, oh, I, I just write for the love of it. I don't care if I get paid. I don't care if nobody reads me. At the end of the day, we do want to be read. We do want people to see what we've written. So, but you do need to realize that uh, you have to keep at it. It's a discipline like everything else. It's like a baker. The first time I made a cake when I was like eight or nine years old, it probably wasn't very good. Now I can make a really damn good cake. So you just keep at it. Don't let rejection get you down. We've all been rejected. Stephen King was rejected. So, you just keep at it and just keep doing what you love. And remember, 
if it's a story that anybody else could could tell, you have to put your own unique spin on it and only write what you love. And, and at the end of the day, you may be the only person who reads it, but at least make it something that you love to read. No. Great, great words of advice. Um, so thanks again for coming on the show, PJ. Um, would you like to share with listeners where we can find you and um, everything you do online? Sure, I'm at uh, pjmacrider.com. That's my website. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is PJ McElvain. I'm very accessible. If you have any questions, anything, just, just hit me up. Great, great. And we will put some links in the show notes as well so people can go and check all that out. Thank you again for coming on the show. Oh, uh, thank you. I had a lot of fun and I hope I was interesting. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Too much. <Sure>. So <laughs> write, write that memoir. Yes. Thank you. Memoir. It's on the honeydew list. All right. Well, okay. that's I hope you've enjoyed that interview with PJ. So, I encourage you, if you're curious, to go back and search that PB pitch hashtag and see what you can learn from what other people have pitched. Uh, but if you want to express your support, be sure not to hit the like button. That's really only for agents and editors to basically invite that author to submit to them. So if you want to express your support, just reply to their tweet. Because it's wonderful to get that support, but it's also a bit of an up and down emotional roller coaster for the author. Um, I've been there in pitch contests where you get that like and you think, oh, an agent or editor is inviting me to submit. And then it's not actually an agent or editor. And that's ex that expression of support is wonderful, but it is very much an up and down emotional experience for the author. So just be careful of that. But I hope you enjoyed this interview and for staying to the end, a special surprise. So Joy is doing a contest. She is giving away a fitness journal and some writer wellness swag. And there will be a link to enter the contest in the show notes. It's running through November 15th. So even if you're listening to this, you know, a few days or a week later, there's still time to enter. All right. Well, that is it for this time. As always, there will be links to check out what PJ does. There will be links to Joy's contest, and there will be links to reach out to me or to Joy in the show notes of this episode. Until next week, happy writing. Happy writing.